nervousness and excitement, they feel the same, but you get to decide what you're going to assign to this experience. Mm. Are you going to let it control you or are you going to let it fuel you? And are you curious enough to see the outcome? Alrighty, folks, welcome back to Transacting Value, where we're encouraging dialogue from different perspectives to unite over shared values. Our theme for season four is intrinsic values. So what your character is doing when you look yourself in the mirror. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a continuing listener, welcome back. Today, we're talking our June core values of abundance, adventure, and prosperity with the owner and instructor at Maple Leaf Music Company out of Carthage, Missouri, Miss Casey Ball. She's a voice instructor, plays piano, plays guitar, songwriter, understands music theory. So it's going to be pretty ridiculous. And in an effort to cover quite a bit of things as it applies to her personal values, value system, and character development, and how she puts it into her music. Guys, without further ado, I'm Porter. I'm your host, and this is Transacting Value. Casey, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to see you. I hope you're having a good day. Thanks. Yep. It's sunshiny here. It's been uh, raining all week, so I'm loving the sunshine and the vitamin D today. Mm, I'll bet. It must be moving east then because we've been rainy the last couple of days. So thank you. You're welcome. It's coming. <laughs> so for everybody listening and sort of to start all this off, Casey, as far as transacting value goes, right, the focus is values, value systems, how we can sort of show mutual respect in a conversation and listen to each other, even though we have different perspectives, right? So let me just get the ball rolling a little bit here. I have no idea how to do anything about music. I listen to it and I change it more often when the song is in the middle than before it's over because I don't even know what I want to listen to, let alone how to put it together, right? So how long have you been playing music? Well, I can remember being really young, like probably early elementary school and my my mom and my grandpa my grandpa was in a bluegrass band mm. and so they had me in denim and lace singing at hoot nannies <laughs> <laughs> some of my earliest memories and so music has always been fun and with family and just really integrated as part of my childhood and my life so i almost can't remember a time without it so well and so as i understand though you you majored in voice right yep so why not focus on instruments? Why singing? It's my absolute favorite because I love all of the details that go into how to use your voice as a living instrument. And so what that is like to be living like a piano, for instance, or a guitar, if something is technologically wrong with it or it's out of tune or something, you just turn a key or open it up and adjust something. But with the voice... You can't see it. So it's all based on sensation and I don't know, like it's so it's so um, there's so many variables that adjust and to get the exact sound that you want. There's so many little details that you can adjust. And I just love the whole process. And there's an internal reward because you can feel it coming out of your body where you can't really feel what it feels like for the piano to have sound coming out of it. But you can feel what it feels like to have your voice come out of it. I love the whole internal, external, and the way it connects you with people. And the voice is my favorite. So, I mean, it's obviously pretty fulfilling, right? Because you can physically feel that you're doing a good job and you're hitting notes and actually how you want to perform or sing a song. But I mean, but you can see it too in an mm -hmm. audience. I mean, you can, you can see and gauge a response, right? Yes. And now I get you can do that with instruments. 
again, not firsthand, but I understand. I've been to a concert or two, right? So <laughs> like there's there's resonance with an audience when you're playing an instrument and people are feeling good and they start to dance or whatever. But what does that do for you as the singer? Does that well, make it harder to control your pitch and your adrenaline and your excitement? Because it's going to come out. Yeah, that's a great point because you're like connecting with people, yeah. you know? So music is all about connection. It's about connecting with emotion between people and um, music allows you to be the the voice of the emotion and the kind of the one who instigates that connection. And when you see it, the outcomes back at you visually from people that are connecting, it's so internally rewarding. But what you said, you mentioned something really cool. You have internal responses to that. Like you're, you're maybe singing and you've practiced this thing a million times, but all of a sudden you see this little girl start dancing with her dad in the aisle to something that you're projecting in the moment. And then like, uh Oh, my throat tightened up and I'm trying to choke back tears. I didn't practice that. Oh gosh. So now you have this like chemistry that's happening in real time that not only are you watching this beautiful exchange between a dad and a daughter, but the audience is watching you react to that. And so it's like this whole thing and people, that chemistry that builds, it's so so cool. It's it's just a neat experience. And the vulnerability that you've got to be willing to, like you're in public crying sometimes, you know, like, or trying to make people cry if that's your goal, you know, to bring out these memories and emotions and things. Oh, yeah. And, um, your the volume levels you use to project to in singing to create that emotion they're not like your everyday conversational volumes so even like the vulnerability it takes to get loud or project from a different part of your voice than you would when you're talking it's a total different vulnerability level for for you but it creates vulnerability in the audience as well too because of that yeah, okay so is it a fair comparison to say i mean albeit through lyrics and or rhythm and instrumentation that like as a singer, you're also basically like a voice actor? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay. The way that you move your the sound through your resonating chambers yeah. is totally how a voice actor would create characters. You're just doing it different because you're emoting lyric rather than a, a character's words. You know what I mean? Even though they are words and the same thing, but you're right. doing it differently, but you're using the same strategy to do that. Okay, well, so let me back up for a second here. We sort of broke down you as a singer, right? And as a, I guess, introspective skill set, what that requires and how to communicate effectively with people. But I mean, the whole point of this particular show is so what? What do your values have to do with that? And here's sort of my take on it in a quick two cents in 30 seconds or less that it shouldn't really matter what language you're singing in. Right. Like there's Spanish songs. I don't speak Spanish, but there's Spanish songs. And I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty good. I like the way that sounds. And I'll listen to it and have no idea what I just heard, but it sounds good. Right. Or Mm -hmm. whatever. It maybe even makes me feel good. The emotion that it brings out or or whatever applies. So the language itself almost, I think, doesn't matter as much as you conveying the hard work and practice you put into getting it right to convey that emotion, which ultimately would rest in your value system and how you apply that to your music or performances or whatever applies. Right. Alrighty, folks, stay tight, and we'll be right back on Transacting Value. Did you know that children who do chores to earn their allowance have more respect for finance and more of a drive for financial independence? Did you know that families who complete tasks together have stronger bonds? 
Did you know that cognition, sense of self, and anxiety all improve if people have regular interactions with nature? Imagine what instilling self-esteem, resilience, family, teamwork, and an authorized sense of self could do for the growth of each generation, no matter the temptation. At Hoofenklugger Farm, that's just another Tuesday. Want to learn how to homestead or just more effectively develop your character for an unknown future? Follow or direct message on Instagram at Hoofenklugger Farm. Watch it happen in real time. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. A foolish man learns from his own. So the language itself almost, I think, doesn't matter as much as you conveying the hard work and practice you put into getting it right to convey that emotion, which ultimately would rest in your value system and how you apply that to your music or performances or whatever applies, right? So I'm curious, I guess, before we get too much further down the road, let's just break this down. For anybody new to the show, Casey and I are talking on a video call, but I'm obviously only recording the audio. So Casey, for anybody that doesn't know you, anybody that can't see you, let's take this back two steps. Who are you as a person, right? Where are you from? What kinds of things have actually shaped your perspective? Okay, so I'm from a small town in um, Missouri, the heart of the country. So very conservative value systems, very, um, you know, hometown, small town feel, very family oriented. And like I mentioned before, I mean, music has always been part of my life since childhood. And so I guess that something that goes along with music being a part of your life is the emotional connection that you have, you have an outlet for that. So, you know, that has always been encouraged. And so I always feel, I feel like my personality tends to be pretty emotional as far as the way I emote, like with people and I teach children all day. So that lends itself (laughs) well to that expression. It's really fun. Children are probably my favorite people to interact with because I actually feel like I get to be more of myself when I'm with them because I have a big playful personality, you know, so I don't know. And so we grew up, you know, in a Christian home. And so a lot of the faith-based things that you learn through scripture and through church and small and small country church on the corner, you know, out in the middle of farm fields, just there is a, there's a different feel to that. You know, there's a whole culture with that. And I feel blessed to have been a part of it. But yeah, a lot of my values stem from that the faith-based aspect of things probably more than anything family and faith okay well let's jump into that a little bit so this is a segment of the show called developing Developing character character. developing character and for everybody listening this is two questions totally casey from your perspective and basically focusing on two different points in time from two different perspectives within your own life okay so my first question what were some of your values then growing up okay so I have thought so much about this and it may take me a little bit of time to kind of encapsulate all of that I want to say. <laughs> so if we have a little time, I kind of want to go into it, but I heard this quote, actually, I have been reading this book and I heard this quote and I have some scripture, but it's just so beautifully put that I just, I am just dying to share it. But Erwin McManus says, all of us have a longing to be loved to connect for intimacy. And we we need to realize that we are all going to have this intrinsic need or craving for intimacy and connection for love, for relationship. And intimacy is the thing that we long for, but we fear the most. We fear intimacy because we don't know if anyone can love us for our true self. And this is why Jesus is so unique, because he knows you completely and loves you completely. 
In other relationships, we show the parts that are most lovable and we slowly disclose the parts of us that we're not sure that can be loved. And we hide the parts that we're certain cannot be loved because sometimes we can't even love ourselves because of those parts. So we try and find intimacy without letting a person into our deepest selves because how can we believe that someone can love us at our deepest self when we can't even love our own self? And so Jesus says, or in Psalm 8, 5, it says that he has crowned us, that God has crowned us with glory and honor. And I'm knowing this growing up that that is in scripture and that the word honor means value. And so he's crowned us with glory and an immeasurable value on us. And Jesus, when he's asked by the, um, the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in thinking back to the Erwin McManus quote about how he says, we have such a hard time loving ourselves, but yet we're created in the image of the God who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. But we have a hard time accepting ourselves. And so for, for Jesus to point out that the greatest commandment is to love him and love others like you love yourself, how would you know how to love yourself unless you believe and agree that God crowned you with immense value and his glory to be present in his image on earth? And so as part of my value system, I want to make decisions out of a truth that I have been created with value. And so if I've been created with value and I'm to love my neighbor as myself, then I need to look at other people with an inherent unquestionable value that God has put his image in everyone. And that uh, I heard a counselor say one time, her name's Tish Hedger. She said that all healing is done in the context of relationships. And to think that we were created in the image of connection, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, connected together as one being, we're created in the image of connection to be able to connect with his image on earth. And if we're not looking at people with that intrinsic value that that has been placed on them, then A, we'll never love ourselves, which means we can never love others, which means we can't fulfill one of God's hearts for us is to be his expression of love on earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you just want to walk onto my show and drop the mic like that. I mean... Uh... <laughs> It takes a long time to explain it, but I was like, it's so good that that's the basis of when students come into the studio, I know that God has placed a purpose on their life. And I believe that whether they're a senior citizen student or they are a four-year-old with barely hardly enough motor skills to even put their fingers on the piano, that in our DNA, in our personality, our gifts and our talents that we have yet to discover God has placed a purpose for each, a divine purpose for each of these kids that walk through this door. And I get to, in 30 minutes, help them discover these hidden things inside of them, help them develop that, and then ultimately to display that glory that he has placed on us. And it is the greatest honor of my life to be able to do that with something that he's put in me that I'm passionate about and get joy out of to help do that with other people. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of like Rufus Wainwright, right, in Hallelujah. And he was talking about how, essentially, 
playing songs to showcase whatever value you bring to the table and whatever glory, whatever you have to offer uh, is sort of the ultimate form of expression because you don't have to use the words that other people can interpret. You use the emotional resonance other people already know to convey that. Wow. Yeah. Well, don't give me the credit. Rufus wrote it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so while we're talking about that, I guess that was you, you know, growing up and realizing these things in small town sort of environment. And I think maybe I'm a little bit biased towards that. But when you're talking about small towns and growing up in them, I think a lot of the benefit is because you don't have as many distractions, say, as a bigger city. You don't also necessarily have as many things to occupy your attention, even if you wanted them to. And so you, I think more often than not, are forced to find value in people, not things. That's good. Thank you very much. And so in, you know, identifying those types of things and growing through that environment, that was then. As you now you're an adult, you're grown up. So all these other distractions and all these other insights and inputs and things around the world and news stories and whatever else that you're hearing and reading and going through in your own life have an impact too and have a say in how you view the world and what you do about it. So let me ask you this. This is my second question. What are some of your values now then? I would say when you're young, you get the impressions, you know, like your dad's, you know, giving you scripture and you're memorizing scripture and you haven't really tested it yet, you know? And so as you get older, you, you, it becomes your own faith because you have a chance to either look into new beliefs or ideas or thoughts, and you can test those, or you can test the ones that you grew up with and see what the outcomes tell you. And so I think that what I have had the ability to do is test these childhood beliefs and kind of let them take root and see how they've grown. And so I would say my core va- my values are still the same, except that I would add to them that the urgency to want to share them, like maybe they're, they're my values, you know, and I enjoy them. But now I have like, because of the way they've affected my life and the outcomes that I've seen from them, now I want to share them where maybe before I just was like, no, never mind. It's okay. You can believe what you want to believe. But I'm like, now I have this like gift that I'm like, hey, if you haven't thought about this, you might, this might be something that you, you know, we can share together. It opens up, you know, conversations and relationships. Alrighty, folks, stay tight. We'll be right back on Transacting Value. Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter to George Washington in 1787 that agriculture is our wisest pursuit because it will, in the end, contribute most to wealth, good morals, and happiness. Did you know that even at a nearly $1 billion valuation, farmers markets nationwide still authentically serve their local markets as direct-to-consumer, farm-fresh models of freedom, self-reliance, and teamwork? At the Keystone Farmers Market in Odessa, Florida, Those same ideals also cultivate an agritourism experience, preserving the old ways of wholesome, family-oriented, sustainable growth of produce and people. For premium quality produce at affordable prices, opportunities for the kiddos to feed the baby cows, or to simply wander the garden and watch your future meals grow, visit Keystone Farmers Market on Facebook, or come by in person to 12615 Tarbon Springs Road. Keystone Farmers Market, the place with the boiled peanuts. Now I have this like gift that I'm like, hey, if you haven't thought about this, you might, this might be something that you, you know, we can share together. It opens up, you know, conversations and relationships. So I don't, does that answer the question a little bit maybe? Yeah, it definitely does. And you brought up a point earlier also when you were talking about students. I 
I guess maybe it was just my own bias. I never default to thinking about students as senior citizens. I just default to kids, right? But it's totally a valid point, right? That students can be any age. The crazy thing to what you just said, though, testing your childhood beliefs and sort of helping them take root or nurturing them to do, I don't know, whatever you're attempting to do with them. Mm -hmm. Senior citizens as students, for example, have gone, I don't know, 50 to 100 years trying to find ways to add value to their own lives or other people's lives, right? Have you found a difference in the maybe passion or awareness of what comes into some of these, some of the music, some of the things that your students are learning based on age and just life experience? Oh yeah. Most adults, when they come in, whether they're you know 21 or senior citizens, if they're an adult, they have that urgency where they're like, I'm not getting any younger. I know that I want to do this. I didn't get to do it in childhood. I always wanted to learn this. And it becomes something that there's a passion for it. And, you know, some of them, they have, they have arthritis and they will practice for hours a day through the pain because it has been a lifelong desire of theirs to do this. And they, they can see a ticking time that maybe the young kids don't see because, you know, kids think they'll live forever. And so anyway, it's, it's something fun for me to see. And, and it helps me think, oh my gosh. Like this is actually adding value to their life. They're not coming in going, well, my mom made me come when I didn't practice. They're like, it's adding this really important piece, a missing piece to this really important stage of their life. And I get to be part of that. And it's just such an honor, I think. So what do you think about the impact of culture then? I mean, it's an expression of somebody's worldview, like you were saying, as as a student to be able to learn to play music or sing or whatever it is they're getting into with you at the studio or with your staff even at the studio. But what impact do you think in your experience does culture have on music, aside from just genre, specialty, or preference? What other roles does that have? A ton. I think a culture impacts how valued music can be in a community, you know, for sure. And, and the way I've seen that play out is I've done music or helped with music in, say, a small farming community where there's not a lot of, or a low, lower socioeconomic, let's say. And there's not a lot of excess cash to invest in, say, private music lessons or even a music thing at school, you know, they're in a music program at school. So what people do is they lose a sense. And I've seen this happen when the arts are not valued in the community or they can't be because of time or lack of funds. There is a lack of value of beauty in general, like the arts provide an outlet for an expression of beauty and emotion and those things where if you're concerned about, oh gosh, we're working from sun up to sundown and we don't have time because we're in a drought. We've got to get, you know, whatever, whatever your family stuff does not allow you to do. Or, hey, you know, grandma and grandpa live with us and we're down to one income. And so we lost our job and it's not enough to make ends meet. We don't care about your if you like this song on the radio and you want to sing it, you know, I'm like, they don't, it, there's no time or room for that. And so to have an outlet for the arts allows people this, this expression, this relief, this, a way to value beauty around them and to, but if there's not money or time for it, it gets lost. And I, I've seen it happen in really small communities and where there's just not, money in the budget for things like that. But then in bigger cities, you've got these performing arts halls that are just, I mean, they just rival castles. I mean, they just are beautiful. And, mm -hmm. and you have these wealthy benefactors and 
community nonprofit organizations who are just shoveling money into scholarships and and people thrive differently when the arts are valued people are different you know and, and there's ends of the spectrum there's a happy medium where the arts are valued and and it fits in with the other part and then there's like over excess of you know the arts and people nobody wants to work and they just want to sit around and contemplate beauty all day and nothing gets done okay we can't do that and we can't also just work from sunup to sundown and not have any value for those things as well. You know, there's like a happy medium. I do realize that. But culture, uh, socioeconomic status, what school you go to, what kind of generational wealth or whatever you have in your family or what even community, nonprofit community groups are there, other people that are investing, it makes a huge difference on the community. And, you know, also like think about going to a funeral. And no one's there to play music for the funeral. Or think about your favorite movie and there's no soundtrack to it. Our culture depends on having the arts present to create emotional connection for almost every event that we have. I mean, you've got it when you go to lunch. The music is playing. When you go through the coffee shop drive through there's music playing in speakers. It's everywhere. And there's always visual arts everywhere. It's not just music. But yeah, culture... We depend on it as a culture to have the arts present and especially music. It's a long answer. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Totally cool. But And it all comes back to balance anyways, right? Like you said, there's a sliding scale of, well, too much. Everybody's, how did you put it? Everybody's basically sitting around, not working type example. And then, you know, the opposite end where busy city and there's no real recognition or appreciation of humanity or humanities in the process, right? So on that scale, yeah, I think there has to be balance. I mean. Well, there's businesses oh, in Nashville, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. there's corporations in Nashville and it's all yes. about arts and music. Oh, or, yeah. Uh, I don't know, Philadelphia, Austin, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm sure there's plenty of other places, Sydney, Australia, whatever, name somewhere. It doesn't oh. matter. Like it's, yeah. it's got to be balanced. All right, folks, sit tight. And we'll be right back on Transacting Value. Alrighty, folks, here at Transacting Value, we write and produce all the material for our podcast in-house, gain perspective alongside you, our listeners, and exchange vulnerability and dialogue with our contributors every Monday morning. But for distribution, Buzzsprout's a platform to use. You want to know how popular you are in Europe or how Apple is a preferred platform to stream your interviews? Buzzsprout can do that. You want to stream on multiple players through an RSS or custom feed, or even have references and resources to take your podcast professionalism? authenticity, and presence to a wider audience? Buzzsprout can do that too. Here's how. Start with some gear that you already have in a quiet space. If you want to upgrade, Buzzsprout has tons of guides to help you find the right equipment at the right price. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Plus, following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, gets you a $20 credit if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support our show. You want more value for your values? Buzzsprout can do that too. Well, there's businesses in Nashville, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's corporations in Nashville, and it's all about arts and music. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know, Philadelphia, Austin, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of other places, Sydney, Australia, whatever, name somewhere, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's got to be balanced. 
And I think what's cool, though, to that point about balance, they say, well, I say they, I don't know who they are, but people I've heard say, art mimics life. Oh, wow, yeah. And I guess what I'm asking is, how important is balance in writing songs, performing music, singing songs? Mm, that's a good question. You think what angle? Let's see what angle, because... Yeah, so balance, that's a fair point. Let's clear this up a little bit. So balance obviously could be like bass and treble, right? Highs and lows. I mean, balance could be in pitch. Balance could be in, I don't know, your body language as you perform or or any other other number of ways. So let's just say, let's talk theory. We haven't touched on theory. Let's talk theory. So when we're talking balance, right? Like rhythm and melody and harmony and these other aspects of putting a song together, whether it's performance or writing or music or whatever, but the balance in the pattern to make it resonate. I guess. How important are these things? They're they're so important because emotion is created through the use of opposites. So balance is very important. You know, you can't be, and and what I mean by the uh, emotion is created through the use of opposites. What I mean is if you're singing really soft and people are leaning in, but then the chorus is really big, (laughs) you know, that space between the soft and the loud is where the emotion is created in that space between. Or if you have a low and high pitch, so down here, you're, you're singing down here, you're singing down here, and then you're up here, you know, it's kind of the same thing where the pitch, how wide of a space the pitch is, is how big of an emotional impact that you can make on your audience. So in regard to balance, it's really interesting because you can't sing an entire song on volume level 10 and expect people to listen to A, the whole song, or B, an entire set of you singing at that level. You have Mm -hmm. to create a balance and a flow. And in those opposites is where you're going to create the emotion and that's how you're going to connect with people and and all that stuff. So it's very important. Balance is apparently in music. So, But also in the performance aspect, if someone's sitting down their entire set, you go to a coffee shop and someone's sitting down their entire entire set or you go to a concert and they're not up walking maybe to the front of the stage or to the side of the stage or switch an instrument if they're not creating a balance and that is something very boring very predictable and our brain shuts off we don't connect when something is overly predictable and so yeah that's a great question overly predictable though may be a problem but to the same vein not predictable enough is scary yeah And scary may even not be the appropriate word here, but like there has to be some ability, in my opinion, as an audience member to be able to forecast what's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm not going to I'm not walking with you anymore. I'm just here watching you walk, which is fine. But like I'm not getting anything out of that. Right. Like my son likes to watch people play video games. I guess it's a newer hobby. I don't know. It's, (laughs) It's a little beyond me. Right. Like. I actually can find a lot of things to do better that I like than watching people play video games, but he likes it. And so for us to have anything in common, I don't need to like watching people play video games, but he does. So I'll watch people play video games with him and we'll talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think only because I'm able to predict and understand which types of video games he likes to watch, can I mentally get prepped to sit there for 40 minutes and watch somebody play this video game that I don't care anything about because he gets something out of it. Right. And I know how he's going to respond to what's happening. So I have talking points as it goes. And I feel like a lot of that's the same. Well, like you said, at a concert when you're performing, well, from an audience perspective at a concert, but to what you said, when you're performing, 
that to be able to understand what's coming next, it builds suspense, it builds excitement, there's apprehension, there's enjoyment in that, or there's some sort of crescendo and you know it's coming down and you're like, all right, I know this is going to wind down a little bit and oh man, what's happening or any opera being the same point. I don't have mm-hmm. to speak Latin to get something out of an opera, right. right? But it's sort of all about balancing, I don't know, stability and pattern recognition against... Breaking sorry. pattern. Yeah, sure. yeah. Against not Establishing having. a pattern. But yeah, they're breaking it and going back to a, new, a pattern and then creating a new one, breaking that or... I've had too much coffee because it's kicking in. I can feel it. Um, but like we, uh, even in songwriting, where you have major chords and minor chords and the, the consonants and the dissonance. Sure. Within the writing, and it creates an ebb and flow and a tension and release. It's kind of exactly along the line of creating that balance, predictability pattern. Then you break it, then you come back, but it all builds toward emotion and connection with people. And it's so cool. Yeah. It is cool. And I, I think, I mean, you brought it up again. It's the exact same thing in relationships with people. That here's an example. If you want to be super mysterious, cool, but then nobody's going to trust you because nobody knows oh, who you right. are. It's too much. Yeah. Right. But if you want to be super dependable and predictable all the time, well, nobody's really engaged with you either because it's too easy. It's too simple. Like your home base, but I don't need to be at home base right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to live my life. I'll see you when I'm 50. But like, I think there has to be a little bit there too of give and take where. You know, either you can't wear your emotions on your sleeve all the time. The flip side is you can't be totally emotionally dead either. Right. Right. And so learning how to be vulnerable with people, learning that it's okay to be, I'll say it loosely judged or even just viewed by other people in public and growing into that level of discomfort and learning how to manage it and be okay with that. I feel like on stage, uh, I was in theater in college. I'm musical, I'm musical theater. But, but regular theater. And, and I feel like there's a certain depth that you have to be okay with being associated with that vulnerability, right? Do you find that it's similar performing or even just with your students teaching it? Yeah, I think they get the biggest dose of the vulnerability when it's a recital time, which we just had our recital a couple of weeks ago. And so we practice performing and I try to say, okay, there's going to be, here's where the audience is. Here's what it's going to look like. But they are not ready because they have um, what's called experiential blindness. They've never, if they've never done a recital before, they don't know that what the nervousness feels like in their body. So they don't know how to manage that survival response that's kind of triggered. Alrighty, folks, sit tight. And we'll be right back on Transacting Value. I'm sure you've heard that either art mimics life or that music is the conversation style of souls. But if that's true, how do you respond? The Maple Leaf Music Company out of Carthage, Missouri exists to equip students with the power of music and harness their soul drivers to become more effective communicators. Learning a new language, though, is no easy task for anyone involved. At the Maple Leaf Music Company, striving to encourage students to use their skills and talents to make a better community, impact their culture, and change the world makes the whole process of language learning way more fulfilling. Vocalizing everything from hopes, dreams, and ambitions to wishes, lyrics, and reality Children and adults can learn to capitalize on their gifts to share with others through their music. How do souls learn to communicate, build resonance, and foster joy and peace? Find out today at the MapleLeafMusicCompany.com. So they don't know how to manage that survival response that's kind of triggered. You know, when you show a part of yourself to a group of people that you are not 
normally you don't really normally expose that part of yourself and you have a chance to totally fail in front of all these people you have a chance to totally you know your body can like rebel against you and you're like I don't know what I'm I'm crying and I'm singing a song about sunshine like what's <laughs> happening right now you know yeah. and they forget that all that's out there is their grandmas and moms and dads and we all love them and they don't all they feel is Oh, I'm being threatened right now. This is a whole new experience for me. And so teaching them to rise to the occasion and to show up for themselves, to stand behind the work that they've put into it and to be confident in what they've done and to decide, hey, the emotion that you're feeling inside feels the same nervousness and excitement. They feel the same, but you get to decide what you're going to assign to this experience. Mm. Are you going to let it control you or are you going to let it fuel you? And are you curious enough to see the outcome? Do you want to host this? That was great. (laughs) That was was good. Thanks. You know, you must be a teacher. I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was, that was great. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Right. There's, there's a lot of things that are easy to overlook that you are actually in control of, whether it's social anxiety or performance anxiety or any other number of anxious moments to actual self-doubt, not having self-esteem for some reason, whether you were you were bullied as a kid. Oh, here's a good point real quick. In the last couple of minutes we've got, here's a good point. I think there's a lot of times, so my son's nine, right? And he's still young. And I think there's a lot of times as a parent and as you know, working with kids or working with parents as students, even in your case too, that that it's easy to look at if this mistake happens, it's going to ruin the rest of their life. So we have to be very careful. We have to make sure that all the safety controls are in place, right? And make sure they don't physically get hurt, emotionally get hurt, behaviorally, I don't know, behave. And I think that can be detrimental too. Let people fail. Let people get laughed at. Let people get bullied within reason and work through it, talk through it. You know, there's actually, I just had this talk last night talking about how what happens in schools and parents' rights and all these other things, right? Which parents, which parents have the right to decide who's going to do what at a school, a public Uh school, a public school, right? And I think there has to be a level of acceptance there where, well, this is in a public space. Mm -hmm. So these are the risks that are going to be inherent to a public space. And then in private or back home, that's where we're going to foster and nurture and refine and cultivate. And so the last Mm -hmm. question I have for you about all of this as you're teaching music or as you've been learning music in your own life and sort of growing through the process, whatever lessons you've received from teachers, coaches, audience members, whatever, how much of a role does that actually play for you when you're fostering, nurturing, refining, and growing at home, practicing on your own compared to what you've been able to discover on your own and then bring back to those people later? I think what resonates with me the most is because you know, whatever you're taught is the things that are going to resonate most with you based off your own childhood trauma. So, um, <laughs> so my, mine is, is just this fear of being invisible, failing, you know, all those things. And, um, I had one professor in college say, and I've had fantastic coaches, but piano was always my biggest struggle. And so I had the most anxiety when I would approach the piano. And he told me, um, his name is Dr. Brown. He said, Casey, you need to approach everything, not just piano. You need to approach everything successfully. 
And I felt inside of me, for some reason, that was a magic phrase for me. Some people's like, well, duh, you know, but for me, I was like, wait, I can do that. I can approach it. Like I'm already a success. I'm already an expert at it. I'm already in a place that is not a trying to prove myself and maybe I'm not good enough. I can already start from a place of success. And these kids in here, the adults that come in here for lessons, they need to hear that. And I need to remember when I step on the stage, I do a lot of worship, but every week when I'm leading worship, I'm like, this. and then I'm like, nope, I can. I'm going to approach it successfully because you realize, you know, there's a little bit of gravity to if I mess up or whatever, there's like 200 people in the Sunday service that are going to be like, what's happening? <laughs> In the moment, and I got to recover. So I have to, if I'm doubting myself, then it doesn't provide the space that these people need to connect with God, to worship, you know, or whatever, or whatever venue I'm at or whatever. And so if I don't approach it successfully, my audience isn't going to get what they need out of this. Or my students aren't going to, if I doubt, oh gosh, boy, this is an advanced student. I hope they don't, they think that I'm a good enough teacher for them, you know, but if I don't approach it successfully and then, then my mind isn't in the right space to pick up on things that I need to pick up on as the one in the driver's seat, you know, yeah. so approach everything successfully. So, man, that's another good one. I just keep writing stuff down as you say it, because I don't, I don't <laughs> know how to say it better. Yeah, that was great. Casey, to basically close this out though. If people want to reach out to you, let's say for lessons, let's say for advice, let's say to follow along with your music career as it grows or to follow along with Maple Leaf Music Company, any of these things, how do people do that? Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram as the Maple Leaf Music Company. And then you can email us at mapleleafmusiccompany at gmail.com. And then our website, you can contact us on there and see all the pictures of our cute little students doing adorable things at the mapleleafmusiccompany.com. Perfect. And for everybody listening, depending on whatever platform and player you're streaming this on, click see more, click show more. The links to Casey's Facebook, Instagram, website, all these links will be in there as well. So you can click on those. It'll take you straight there. Casey, I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the conversation. I had a great time. And so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was cool. To everybody who tuned in and listened to this, I also appreciate the opportunity for you guys to come by. But First off, I guess, thank you to Erwin McManus, Small Towns, Small Town Churches, Tish Hedger at Dr. Ram, obviously, at all of Casey's students, family, friends, and everybody that's ever made you nervous for taking this conversation into some super cool directions. Thank you to you guys as well. But ultimately, to everybody who's listening, thank you for listening into our core values of June, of abundance, adventure, and prosperity. Also to our show partners, Keystone Farmers Market, Hoof and Clucker Farms, and obviously Buzzsprout for your distribution. So folks, if you're interested in joining our conversation or you want to discover our other interviews, check out transactingvaluepodcast.com and follow along on social media where we continue to stream new interviews every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your favorite podcasting platforms. But until next time, that was Transacting Value.